I'm going to do that again because that should say cold and neutral. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's chilly up there. It's chilly up here. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Interrogang Podcast, your weekly shot of typography news and notes, where we'll share with you some new type releases from the past week and what has got us thinking in the world of type, design, and creativity. The Interrogang Podcast is an extension of Proof & Co., a website dedicated to the ever-changing landscape of independent typography and bridging the gap between type designers and type consumers through insightful content and research. I'm your host, Joshua Dick, along with Interrogang co-host, the incredibly talented and committed type enthusiast, and a man who frankly is just too tall, Kyle Reed. How you doing today, Kyle? Hi, Josh. Doing great. Thanks. How's the weather up there? It's chilly. <laughs> There you have it. It's chilly. <laughs> Back to you, Josh. Here in the Interrogang, we hope to serve as conversation starters, and hopefully we'll pique your interest and get you thinking about new things in exciting ways or old things in deeper ways. We'll be referring to the Proof & Co. weekly newsletter in this and every episode, which you can subscribe to at proofco.xyz to use as a visual reference. Here we are in week 22, 2021. Hi everyone, I thought I'd go in chronological order today for our releases. Uh, it's always nice to have a little context of time, we think. So first up, Coppers and Brasses published a Gina display this week, a typeface that, quote, tries to bridge the gap between the expressive humanist sans typefaces of the 60s and the modern geometric superfamilies of today. That sounds a bit odd and maybe even a little jargony, so, to put it another way, Agena is a pretty slick serif design that leaves neutrality at the door in favor of a subtle edge and eye for more contemporary graphic design uses of today. Uh, so, what do I mean by that? Well, there are select moments of high contrast in there. Uh, there are some fantastically subversive alternate characters in there. Diagonal characters like cap N, M, A, and V all come to a nice point in their counters, but not in their outer contours. Um, rounds are almost devoid of contrast altogether. It's uh, There's a lagging thrown at the wall here with Agena. Uh, it's also a family of four widths, so there are lots of opportunities for expression. It's cool to see Agena come from coppers and brasses. Uh, they've always had a knack for exquisite modern interpretations of classic styles and injecting usable and unique personality into everything they do. If you're looking for a new, new, new font, Agena Display it has your number. Uh, next in the week came from DJR, uh, somebody who we th I feel like we talk a lot about on this podcast. Pretty much every week. June's Font of the Month Club offering is a typeface that has been in the making for years. Fern Text. Officially described as a Venetian old-style typeface with exaggerated diagonal stress, Fern Text is a fascinating look into how to bridge uh, design eras and make something new. Fern Text has potent émigré vibes. Uh, and you know me, I love émigré. Uh, it has a devil-may-care execution on the color and texture of this typesetting face. Fern text is an extension of the regular and italic slices of fern, uh, this time with a bold weight 2. 
So it's kind of cool it's expanding out into the bolder weights with this typeface uh, and a very extensive decorative pattern palette. So you, you can't name a typeface fern without some beautiful organic filigrees and pattern glyphs, right? Another reason this offering from the Font of the Month Club exudes emigre vibes for sure. So if you're feeling adventurous as a graphic designer or feeling like you need to mix things up a bit, get fern. And the last one I want to cover in today's rundown is Moto from 205TF, released Thursday. Wodo is a modernist sans-serif family out to prove that functionalism doesn't have to be cold and neutral, but can be warm and softly effective. We've seen this from a few releases this year, um, attempts to bring warmth and flavor to a genre dominated mostly by neutrality. It's got a few popular features for sans types uh, lately too, like pipe bend curves in the F, G, or Y, ascenders and descenders. Uh, but there are a few other hallmarks that could become recognizable features over time. The dominant dots over the eyes, the very round open counters of the O's, E's, and C's, and the clean precision and balance of the horizontal and vertical contrasts. Overall, a very strong release and a typeface I think we'll see deployed with enjoyment from designers over the coming months and years. So that pretty much does it for me. What about you, Josh? Uh, did you find anything interesting this week? So there's one other release uh, I wanted to bring up, and that's Jolly, spelled J-A-L-I, uh, launched by Foundry 5, a brand new foundry that just launched their operations recently. Um, and so congratulations to Foundry 5 being out in the world and, and with mm-hmm. their first major release. Um, so definitely check them out. Uh but what I what this made me think about and what I wanted to just bring to you, Kyle, and talk a little bit about is we're starting to see uh, foundries come up and more typefaces, more type releases, and we're starting to see some of that energy come back now that we are mercifully and hopefully on the severe downswing of the COVID-19 international global pandemic. Yeah. Uh, and so that's very exciting that I think we're seeing this energy. And so I just wanted to, to touch base with you. Obviously, this is something that we could talk about for hours and hours and hours. Uh, but just a brief state of the type union with you. Um, <laughs> where are we as a type community coming out of the pandemic? Are we better? Are we worse? How are we feeling? What's the what's the pulse? And obviously, this is I'm asking you, just you. Anyone yeah. could have... A totally different answer but just for you what do you see out there yeah uh, it's a great question I mean I, I definitely don't feel like I am the overall representative of the type community however sure. uh, we have been following the type world for a little while um, we started this uh, podcast and we've been doing um, you know releases and reviews and stuff uh, since the very start of 2021 but you and I have been following the type industry for a long, lot longer than that. And uh, being able to, to watch the, the growth, the evolution, the rise of the type world, the expansion of the landscape into new genres and places, and then having all of that kind of just automatically freeze. Yeah. It just turned to ice. Everything stopped. The energy just totally went, went away. Um, that was tough to watch, and yeah. uh, going from 
those days when the pandemic was just starting to rage for the first wave um, and everything was getting shut down um, and, and going from that to, you know, now where we are starting to thrive again, as it were a year later, um, it's a total 180. And I, I feel like there's a lot of, um, you know, energy and uh, potential that like we've never seen before happening now because of the pandemic. So, um, yeah, a lot to unpack there. I remember having a conversation with you April of 2020, which was right in the middle yeah. of the everything. And and it really was a big question mark. We just didn't know what was going to happen personally mm-hmm. or professionally. And one of the things we talked about was it's so sur- it was so surreal to not be able to plan for the future, to not have ambition. You you had to turn that off because you didn't know if you were to be allowed of your out of your house next week, next month, ever again. Right. And so there was no looking forward or making plans by yourself with other people, career-wise, none of that. And how hard that was. That was so yeah. creepy. Um, and so it is <laughs> nice now. It's certainly nice now to be uh, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel coming out of our cave mm-hmm. and starting to look forward again and that's why i was i wanted to talk about this as we are at the birth of a new foundry congratulations yes um and so the big question i wanted to to ask is now that we're here do you think the pandemic the last year and a half uh in the type world do you think ambition has been stifled do you think we lost a year and a half worth of dreams and work or do you think we have been emboldened to do new things now that we can yeah i i believe it it has to be emboldened i think we've all taken the pandemic the lockdowns the quarantining uh the cancellation of plans in stride and dealt with it on our own in our own time in our own ways um but everybody is ultimately coming back to the, the places where they they were or, um, you know, to a new place that uh, is, is different because of the pandemic. But it's all about moving forward, making progress, being creative again. Um, I don't think that there was any lost ambition. I think people were uh, either taking time to not be creative and restore and refresh and kind of restart their creative selves. Or they were taking the time to double down on type projects and say, yeah, we were like, you know, working hard. And we're starting to see that uh, the benefits of both of those, uh, you know, takes on, on pandemic life come to fruition. That was definitely a thing for me. I remember back when we were in full shutdown and there was this sense of, well, Everybody ought to get to work on whatever it is they want. You have all this time, you yeah. have free time, whatever. What's your hobby? What are you into? And it was, it was a pressure that I always <laughs> thought was not fair or necessary. But yeah, what's unwanted. Nice now, yeah. Unwanted, certainly, because we had nothing else going on. What mm-hmm. I find nice now is, yes, there were people who did. They learned how to bake or learned how to do this or that or doubled down on on their own personal hobbies or work. But some people read a lot of books, 
got Animal Crossing, watched everything Netflix had to offer, and now here we all are together, right. and I'm not sure there was one right way to do it because it, it does feel like it was that pent-up energy, that, that built-up ambition yeah. that now it doesn't matter. I'm ready to go. We're all ready to go. Um, yeah. It's nice to know that it feels like we're all in this together. Yeah. Yeah, perhaps there was a little bit of doubt that really crept in at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, I think just so. Just the uncertainty. I don't know if anybody's going to buy my typefaces. I don't know if, if I make a typeface, will anybody have any money to buy it with? <laughs> what does anything matter? Yeah, so the, the confidence in the room got just sucked out of it. Yeah, because um, it was just thick uncertainty. I think now, exactly, exactly. Right now... I think we're returning to that confidence. We're seeing that confidence skyrocket. There's new typefaces, new ideas, and everybody's starting to feed off of each other again. And just being able to talk, even if it is all online now, it's it's doing great things for the industry. And I think it's going to be a, a big motivating or a momentum giver uh, to the industry for years. Now we're able to get out into the world, do whatever it is we want to do. We haven't logged into our Animal Crossing island in months. The weeds have taken over the island. The neighbors have started yeah. to cannibalize. <laughs> it's horrible, but it's a necessary growth of human existence. And that's good. That's right. And that's solid. So this week, we also wanted to go into a bigger conversation about the audience that you do your work for. And I suppose this piggybacks off what we were just talking about. We're coming off of the pandemic. We're getting more work out there. And uh, the the broad question of who do you do this for when you are creating something, type or not? Uh, what is valuable to you? Are you doing this for yourself? Are you doing this for someone else or or? A larger audience? Are you doing this for the almighty dollar? Are you doing this for the deity of your choice? What's, what is the ultimate purpose here? Um, and how much does that impact you as you work? And so, uh, Kyle, again, this is a, this is a personal question because you're the only one sitting here. Yeah. Um, when you're creating something, how, prevalent for you is what other people will think uh like what do other people think of my work do i yeah. think about that when i'm working yeah i think you have to at a certain point uh and to a certain extent so yes i would say what would other people think of this uh quite often to myself as i work on type um i think this is a matter of designer or artist um you know in a, a broader conversation right. i think type designers are at their core designers they are problem solvers they are creating something for a purpose uh and like you said at the beginning here it can be multitudes of of purposes um but for me i it's it's a big mix but if you're making custom type, yeah, the motivations are different. Um, but you're always thinking, what is the end user going to think about this? Right. Uh, is it any good? When you are <laughs> when you're hired to do a job, you better be doing that job. is is a good yeah is a good point. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. How do you find that to be valuable? Do you find that to be a guide 
that there is there is someone else whose opinions you have to meet or do you find that to be a hindrance more often than not for me totally a hindrance <laughs> i'm the kind of person who would love to be able to work in a vacuum uh, i yeah. would love to be able to work high atop a tower and never have to talk to anybody about it ever ever <laughs> um but you know the things we design are for public consumption um and you have to think about what other people think about you or your your work and maybe not about you um i think a lot of people and particularly this seems like a very artist driven answer i think a lot of people would would say it's a huge hindrance that you know mm-hmm. Let me do my thing. Uh, I just want to shut that voice out and and do my job. I think weirdly, yeah. weirdly enough, I think I land a little bit on the i. It it helps me have that guide when I'm putting something together or writing or or you know just doing my job. Does it set a standard for you to meet? Yeah, 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 yeah. Having this, yeah, this finish line to get to, though. I do think there's a difference when you're putting something together and there's something that you really like and can't wait to share with someone. Then you love that you have someone to show it to. When you're not really all that proud of what you're putting together, that's when you're like, (laughs) why why do you care? I don't want to, this is... Yeah, confidence probably comes in. I am the artist here, so shut your mouth. Um I was watching uh, one of those reality shows, and I don't even remember which one, but it's any number of the great British British baking show, great British baking show that that they've all <laughs> been built off of. And someone was someone was being critiqued by the judge and said, you know, the, the judge said, I don't like the colors you chose here. The colors were all wrong. And the contestant's re- response to that was, well, that's my art, so I don't think you get to tell me what colors I get to use. And I was like, who do you think you are? <laughs> You're on a competition show. <laughs> of course that judge who has spent their life doing this gets to tell you what colors work. And don't. That's the whole point yeah, of the game. In the context there, the point is to open yourself up to critique. And it blew yeah. my mind that there can be such an ingrained belief that I am artist, I am God among men because I created something. (laughs) And I think that, I do think that fits in with anyone doing a creative thing, even if it's a type designer who has a very specific end goal in mind. I think we get very proud. I think we get very much, this is my world. Um, And and I think it's Ego definitely does come into the question. Absolutely. And I think it's because we want to fight the perceived value that someone else's opinions have on my work that we'd like to shut out a little bit more. Um, a little defensiveness. Yeah, which is very natural, mm-hmm. but I think for some people it becomes a way of life. Um, so let me, let me form this into a, a, a next question. When you're thinking about more specifically the audience you're reaching with something you create, something that you, you want people to be attracted to what you've created. Um, yeah. How much are you thinking about that as you create, of who do I want to reach? Do you think reaching that audience should be a very precise activity, or should it be something that you allow to happen organically? 
I think it needs to be really intentional. Mm -hmm. uh, personally, as a type designer doing retail fonts, yes. I think about the audience that you're trying to craft this typeface for. I think about that a lot. Um, I think it should be intentional, the width and breadth of the demographic that you're shooting for. Because not every font is for every person. And that's okay. If you do want to make the every font for every person, I mean, you're going to have a tough time because there are a lot of different people out there. But right. So it helps to get specific with who you're making this for. Yeah, I like that answer that the specificity is necessary. And in doing so, yeah. you, you have to have an audience in mind. Do you think it would be, do you think it's stupid to create a, a font without an audience in mind? Do you think you can create something? Just a broad, <laughs> let me put it out there and see what sticks? That, yes, for sure. And that probably happens a lot more often than <laughs> I realize. Uh, <laughs> I think with uh, you know certain marketplaces opening up more and more and more, like future fonts or something like that, you don't have to have an audience in mind if an audience, a, a buying audience is all, already there for you. you know. So you can just be like, oh, I just made this, right. see how it does out there. It's like releasing a single yourself in music or something. You have a little mixtape, a CD or a cassette that you recorded, and you're just like, yeah, here, I'll send this in to the, as a demo into the recording companies, and who cares? We'll see what happens. See if I get any bites. And that's where it's important to have your, to have a strong personal sense of this is why I'm doing this, regardless of... Yeah, whether it's for fun or, right. yeah, like what is the, your personal reason for doing it? Audience of you. And that's... And that's tough. You know, we've talked about in previous episodes the amount of, of personal attachment that goes into a creation, how necessary it is that you're putting yourself into what it is you're doing and then putting that out into the world and that that can be stressful and yeah. and empowering but difficult. Um, and how that mixes with, but you still have to sell it. You still have to make it. It can't just be something right. that you like and no one else likes. That doesn't make any sense. This is, after all, an economic endeavor, right? Uh, on the foundry side, anyway. And right. I figure I've I would bet the majority of people don't would rather think it's not an economic decision, but it is, and that's hard. Uh, and moving that slider of how much importance am I putting into this is my creation, and how much importance am I putting into other people need to buy into this that's hard i don't have a i'm not sure where i think that even could or should be and it's probably uh project by project uh yeah where you you know you do some things that are very much for me and then you do things that are very much for mm -hmm. a client and everywhere in between right um but finding that point is a difficult thing i think everybody has their own in internal art director a gut check feeling that they can gauge if something is going to do well or be good for them or represent them well. The best type designers and the, probably the most successful uh, on a purely financial basis, I think have a very fine-tuned understanding of their inner art director. I think that's right. So they understand what their audience wants. They understand what they want it to look like and you know the di creative direction that it's headed in. Um, and they understand the the end result, like they can envision it. Having a little bit of vision 
um, in the context of an audience is, is really helpful. And probably they know who their audience is going into it. There isn't much mm-hmm. question. There isn't a big question mark yes. as to who, whereas someone who maybe is starting out or a certain project yes. that is is more outside your comfort zone, the who's going to be into this, I don't know, maybe like uh, starting a podcast, say, two to three months ago. <laughs> you may not know who's going to tune in, but then some people do and some people don't, and the world keeps on spinning. Yeah, sometimes you just got to indulge in the why not. Yeah, yeah, and that's great. Yeah. I mean, I think every type designer out there has a folder of fonts that they wish they could release, but they don't think it's going to do well or their audience would react well or mm-hmm. it, it necessarily needs to be aligned with their personal or foundry brands. Um, so uh, I think there are, there are probably a, a wealth of projects out there that aren't out and not in the light of day uh, due to the audience factor. I don't think someone would like this. I don't think it would have, but they're probably great typefaces and we may never see them. Well, so we encourage all of you to go, go find your fonts that haven't seen the light of day and unleash them like Pandora's box. No, actually look at them and look (laughs) through the lens of what do we think these are for? Who are these for? And uh, act accordingly. Be open-minded about that. And say, right. oh, maybe this typeface wouldn't work for my regular audience, but maybe this would work for a totally different one. You know, it can expand your horizons. You could be opening yourself up to a world of possibilities. We're all about opening up the world here today on The Interrogate. That's it for this week's Interrogate. Special thanks, as always, to Techmaster Andrew Spheris, and extra special thanks to Eric Reed for editing assistance on this episode. Original music featured throughout this episode was composed by Andrew Spheris. The Interrogang podcast can be found on our website, proofco.xyz slash podcast, as well as on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and just about anywhere you find your podcasts. If you want to receive more type news and notes, head to our website and subscribe to the weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter at proof underscore end underscore co, or email us at hello at proofco.xyz. If you have any questions for us, or have any thoughts on what we discussed in any of our episodes, or if you don't give a shit what anyone thinks about your work, we'd love to hear from you. As always, thanks for being a part of the Interrogang. We will see you next week. They'd rather it not, but yeah. And so kind That's of right. moving Sometimes that... you... Sorry, you go. Go ahead. Okay.